0: Hey everyone, and happy Saturday. This is Sean, host of PodRocket, here to bring you one of my favorite episodes of PodRocket that you might have missed Dino with Ryan Dahl. It's so interesting listening to Ryan talk about the evolution of developer tooling over the years and how insights from Node and the JavaScript ecosystem influenced Dino. So here it is Dino with Ryan Dahl.
1: And welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Matt Arbisfeld, CEO and co-founder here of Log Rocket. I'm excited to have a very special guest today, Ryan Dahl, who's a creator of Node.js and Dino, a Titan in this industry. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Ryan. We're, we're really happy to have you on. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Today we're gonna to be focusing on Dino, how it originated, where it's at now, what it's going in the future. But before we get into that, we'd love to learn more about how you got into software engineering in the first place? I think you have a mathematics background. If I if I saw that correctly,
0: yeah, I, I've been programming since I was six years old, and just just kind of always always had computers in the house. But in, in college, I was was more interested in in math. Uh, uh, pursued. A bachelor's degree and then a PhD, which kind of halfway through I, I realized, like, actually, I don't want to be <laughs> a math professor. I, I'm not smart enough to be a math professor. Uh, it's 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 too difficult. And always just found found myself. I was I was like the computer nerd of of, of my uh, math graduate school. And yeah, I just just have always been interested in in. Uh, software stuff, but after dropping out of that that phd program basically fell fell into programming pretty pretty quickly uh, uh, doing doing little contracts here and there.
1: and was was node a, a side project or how did yeah you know, what was the origins of node in the first place?
0: I was doing some work for a company called engine Yard, which was providing Ruby on Rails hosting and I was thinking a lot about, how to make Ruby on Rails faster. There was a lot of people thinking about that. And I also had, uh, uh, Engine Yard was contracting me to implement a Nginx plugin. And Nginx is, is kind of this web server written in C and does does a lot of asynchronous I.O. So I was kind of thinking about web frameworks and async I.O. And then Chrome came out. So this, this was 2009 and with chrome came the the v8 javascript engine and just those you know async io and javascript and web frameworks all just kind of clicked together in my mind and and yeah basically node was a scriptable web server scriptable in javascript and yeah uh, that's that's kind of just just kind of working in the right place at the right time those 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 ideas mesh well together
1: was that the first kind of a single threaded web framework at the time or was there predecessors to this that that sort of mindset there
0: there were predecessors so python has twisted and ruby had event machine uh and i was i was very much looking looking at those at the at the same time so so you know the the idea behind async io before it's 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 very common today almost almost any any programming language you use any you use you're, you're going with async io and non-blocking io but at the time the the common paradigm you know this was 13 years ago or so was was to open a thread for each connection and it was considered very difficult and low level work to actually make use of non-blocking IO and, and multiplex multiple connections into a thread. It was it was like, you know, very, very advanced stuff and, and Twisted and, and Event Machine showed that this could be done in, in scripting languages. And, and those were certainly inspirations, but they were always, they were like add on, they were not the common way of doing things. and. What I think the big problem with it was that when you use async IO, really everything needs to be async IO. You can't, you can't, you know, accept a connection from, from the web server in a non blocking way and talk to that, that socket in a non blocking way, but then make a database connection with a blocking, using blocking, uh, blocking IO. And like if you're in Python, like the typical, typical whatever, my, my SQL uh, client, uh, ends up being blocking and you can't use it and twisted, And so, and this just becomes really hard for, you know, the, the everyday user who's just trying to make a, a website and doesn't want to think about this stuff. It, ultimately they're, they're, they're exposed to all of this low level stuff. And what was really nice in node was that we could just start saying like, there is no blocking IO, like every, Socket connection you make needs to be non-blocking, and if you're forced into that world, then every user does it. You don't need to know anything about it. Like like it's all it, it's all just just non-blocking, and that is is basically the case today. If you're using say Go, or you're using Rust, or Node, or Dino, or or any any other language these days, you're you're, you're typically driving driving I/O with with non-blocking.
1: That makes sense. And I remember. I remember in the early days of Node, you'd have these huge waterfalls of async calls now much cleaner with the like async await syntax, but.
0: Right. This was all done with callbacks, right? So, so this was before people really realized that there was this syntactic transformation that could be done to write non blocking, essentially write callbacks like they were, like they were blocking. And, and so, you know, the, the, the cognitive overhead was, was pretty high is like, okay, well, I got after every single async call, I need to have a callback, and that's going to like increase the invention level. And I mean, I I I had not realized at the time that that like this sort of syntactic transformation with async await could be done. But I knew that that like ultimately, you know, the benefits outweighed the the consequences, and that that actually. I I think the the real, the real, uh, awesome thing was that client-side JavaScript programmers were already used to using callbacks because if you have some UI element that has a button or you're making an XHR call or, or just a typical JavaScript use cases where JavaScript is a single, ultimately single threaded and is callback driven. And so, so that sort of non-blocking network IO actually was not a huge leap for a lot of programmers, unlike, you know, it would be in, in Python or Ruby where people are just like, I, I have to do what? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll just use a thread per per, per connection.
1: It's not that expensive. Cool. So, so then moving, I guess it was four years ago, now you started Dino. You know, maybe could you talk about the inspiration, you know, what led you to build a new a new runtime for for JavaScript?
0: So Node has, is has been surprisingly popular it's it it is being used by i mean it's 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 not really a stretch to say that it's being used by almost every website (laughs) it's like in in some form or another maybe it's not actually serving the 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 http traffic in many cases it it is but it's certainly involved with kind of the front end tooling that you know if you're writing your website in react or angular or any front end framework you you are almost certainly touching Node. so i i i have been you know in in 2012 it was it was very clear that node was deal but it it was not clear to me that like all websites would be using node that that it, that it would be having millions and millions of developers um so so Java, javascript as as infrastructure as a as a language is is you know is is deep inside the web browser and and the web is just being used more and more right i mean it, it is essentially the the medium of human information at this point and javascript is deeply tied into that and over the over the last 12 years javascript has just been going forward and forward and forward it is not it is not becoming a legacy system at all right is like every day it is more and more deeply embedded and there's a lot of work going into improving javascript async await is is you know one of the improvements but there there's all all sorts of work going on and and there there are many dozens of people working full time on improving javascript The syntax of the language is changing, right? We're, we're moving from common JS modules to ES modules. You know, there's extensions to to JavaScript, which ultimately are going to become part of the standard, like TypeScript, right? There are new APIs being, being available. And Node was invented in a, in a very primitive time relative to where we are right now and and you know we had to invent a bunch of of things we had to invent a module system we had to we had of uh you know accessing the file system uh opening sockets you know making outbound http requests we did not have fetch back back then and node as as a result has a very antiquated feel and is, is just not really keeping up it it Node is under the Linux Foundation and kind of managed by by a nonprofit, and they are not super incentivized to to. So, you know one one reason is is just to modernize this this very important piece of software that that like all these people are using. I I guess the the other thought is is that Node is you know without getting into the specifics, right? I have a whole talk about this, like uh, ten things I regret about Node. But I, I guess the the other part of it is that Node is this big monolithic C project. And we are starting to see that server-side, that JavaScript is useful outside of the browser, but that it's useful in different ways. So so you know, of course you, you want to open up your terminal and and you wanna you wanna do some kind of node-like scripting, kind of a, a replacement for for Python or a replacement for bash. But you know, there's also like the electron use case where, where people are using this to, to build desktop apps. And then there's also the serverless use case. So a lot of people are running node in, in AWS Lambda. There's things like Cloudflare workers. It's it's clear that that JavaScript kind of has more, you know, doesn't doesn't necessarily need to be tied to a Unix Unix system and and kind of have file system access and kind of expose Unix primitives like like uh, node and dino dino is is trying to explore this so it's written in rust but more importantly it's it's broken up into a lot of different components that can be combined into the open source project that you see on online as dino but can also be recombined into other bits of software so a bit more modular in in that respect
1: and so if i'm a I'm say spinning up a new web server or a new a new microservice, and I want to use JavaScripts to build it. Would you? Would you say the main the main reasons to use Dino over Node? It's the I can use more more modern syntax. The security is better. Like if you had to say the top two reasons, like why. Why do I choose Deno over Node?
0: Sure, yeah. I, I mean, developer experience should be should be fantastic, right? You don't need to think about tooling. You don't need to think about how you format your code or lint your code or how to get TypeScript working with your code. All, all, all of this stuff kind of just works, how it integrates with your editor. So developer experience is, is definitely number one. It should feel very simple and very nice security is a big aspect that we're trying to solve javascript is a secure sandbox and dino dino takes this this quite seriously so by default you really don't have access to the system you you have to give kind of granular permissions and opt into say allowing file system access or or allowing network access and uh, yeah yeah i i you know also improving performance of node there there is there is still performance areas to be improved. And, and we are doing the best we can to, to, to improve that.
1: That makes sense. And then in developer experience right now, if I start a node project, do I, like I, I can add a testing framework, I could add TypeScript, right. Or more modern, like what are the, what are the biggest challenges you see in developer experience for node? Is it that you have to pick and choose those different things or that they may not work together?
0: There's, yeah, there's this this plethora of tooling, and and you have to you have to be really familiar with the landscape in order to get started. And the landscape is actually you know a moving moving target, right? So your testing framework might get out of sync with your linting uh, framework. You know, do you use TS lint or do you use ES lint? Do you you know what 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 sort of testing library do you use? Uh, how how do you do your TypeScript integration? How do you bundle your your code? Like all of these things is just most people don't care. Like they just they want to get started on their on their on their microservice and and not think about these things. And and unfortunately, the situation with with Node, just because it's trying to be so minimal and, or you know just does is agnostic to these problems, ends up creating quite a big headache for for people who are trying to get started.
1: How do you think about the boundaries of that ecosystem? Like for some background, I was an engineer at Meteor that basically. They built, I'm sure you're familiar, but for the listeners, like had a back-end, a front-end framework. They had a data layer, a persistence layer across it, a testing infrastructure. And it became that it's great on day one, but then a year later, those each component piece is not up to date, and developers want to start using and plugging and playing their own components into that ecosystem. So I guess the question is like, how do you think about what is the responsibility of Dino versus what should be plugged in and part of an ecosystem?
0: I mean, Dino is really the runtime layer, and so it's it's operating at, at a lower level than Meteor, right? Meteor is, is built on top of Node, and so in, inherently you start and and I guess you you have this problem with any any web framework that you're using as well. I mean, maybe they they have made a choice about testing, to, uh, you know, what what sort of testing framework to use, but you know, maybe this this meshes and not very nice ways with, with other systems that, that you're using. But Dino Dino and, and Node are, are very relatively low level. I mean this is this is this is kind of where the where the scripting language turns into native code, right? And because of that, we can be pretty opinionated here. And and I think it's it's actually important for us to be opinionated. So I see Dino in a similar fashion to what, very much inspired by by how Go sees things. We're, we're, we're trying to solve the basic, programming uh, utility problems that, that you might run into right testing formatting uh, linting the, these these sort of things are should should be basically taken care of for you
1: and the thought is that those sort of things don't need to evolve as rapidly as something they can. don't
0: need to involve no got it the, one testing framework is as good as another like the you know it's it's essentially different different naming conventions on on, on top of this on on you, you just need something basic and simple, and what everybody benefits from is just a choice, right? Rather than rather than multiple
1: ones. Then, so back in August, we had um, Luca Casnato, I think a member of your team, created the Fresh Come On. So, how do you see that f- fitting in? And is that sort of part of the core mission, or or is it sort of something? Uh, yeah, how does Fresh and, and those extensions fit into the Dino? mission
0: fresh is a web framework that is built on top of dino and and a, a very modern one at that and yeah do, does does all sorts sorts of nice things but but i think as it relates to to dino is it just kind of shows all all of the how nice it can be if, if you build 100 percent on top of dino and and kind of buy into this this ecosystem i mean when when you when you get started with fresh i it's like literally one minute, right? There, there, like all of the install, all of the get getting started. I mean, it's it, it is just very, very quick. And I think people who try that out are just like, "Oh wow!" Like I, I had no idea that it could be like this. You mean I don't need to download 500 megabytes of dependencies to to get started here?
1: It, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe going back to Meteor, there was always this like super magical day one experience of you install it and you have an app working, but then. When you start to have more and more complexity, there things come up that other other frameworks solve, and then found that like there was just a lot a lot of surface area to take on for a team to be building so many different layers of the stack like does that concern you at all to to like you're biting off more than you can chew or or how do you think about the trade off between like the core Dino versus things like fresh and I think Dino deploy some of the I, other I, services you're running
0: i I think you know we we benefit the the, the axiom in in my mind is is that javascript is future proof and that that like the world is is going to continue to build on javascript and what we try to do is stick as close to the browser standards as we can and try to be in the flow of where javascript is going and avoid building infrastructure and stuff that is going to ultimately get supplanted by by something in the browser or you know say invent syntax that is going to you know ultimately not future proof for for where browser javascript is is going so yeah i mean fresh is a framework on top of it and and uh you know, we're, we support it, we're going to build it. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to use. But, you know, I, I think our core competencies as, as, as a project is, is really at the runtime layer. I mean, we, we are V8 experts and, you know, we, we focus mostly on, you know, web servers and, and, uh, you know, the runtime itself.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. If you're building things in, I guess, like a standards, a way that com- will be be aligned to the standards of the web, then hopefully they don't need to keep evolving and, and a lot of churn in those parts of the, the product. So one thing I um, congrats, I, I saw you raise, I think a $21 million Series A this year. And I'm just curious how you think about the business side of Dino and like how do, I guess seems like a different approach to note. So I'm curious first to hear uh, why this approach and then what are your plans for the business and and how do you see to so the business side evolving over the over the upcoming years?
0: One one of the the learnings of note is is that this doesn't need to be a nonprofit, and there there are a lot of commercial use cases for for this technology. Uh, and actually, I think it benefits the software if there is revenue for for the software. And I, I don't think that that this JavaScript runtime is so distant. Is so like you know low level or or distance from the business use cases that that it can't generate revenue itself. I, I mentioned earlier that Dino is built out of different Rust crates that can be recombined in in other ways, and our business model is is serverless JavaScript, and and so we we. Take some of the the open source uh, software and and combine it with with a bunch of proprietary work that, that that we're doing to to build a serverless JavaScript system, an isolate cloud. We like to to call it called Dino Deploy. This is. This is JavaScript at the edge, uh, so it, it's it's running in 34 data centers around the world. You get very fast latency to to these functions, and it it has the the very nice property. You know, I guess one way of describing it is is that this is kind of an alternative container in some ways. So, like, instead of building your project on top of Docker and kind of using Linux syscalls as kind of the fundamental abstraction on which all all servers are built, rather you get kind of a browser like JavaScript console, and you can you know you can you can uh, respond to events. It, essentially, the the fundamental abstraction is is a JavaScript function that takes a request and re- returns a response. That's an async function. All sorts of complexity can happen in between. You can. Call out to databases, you can make outbound HTTP requests, you can, you can do all sorts of, of, of complexity. And, and, and I, I, I would claim that it is, um, you know, that complexity is, is sufficiently uh, generalizable to, to solve all sorts of, of use cases. So, you know, instead of this kind of Linux syscall abstraction, you basically have this JavaScript function abstraction. And that is actually, you know, a much higher level abstraction. And so, so, you know, in some ways you can kind of compare Docker as kind of the fundamental Linux abstraction to, to an isolate cloud where, where just a little bit of JavaScript, right? The, the browser, you know, the browser dev tools console essentially is, is, is the fundamental abstraction and we're you know this is a little bit fuzzy right now it's not standardized although we're we're kind of working towards this with 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 companies like cloudflare and Vercel in a, a group called winter cg we can see that at wintercg.org. but you know i i think we're we're narrowing in on this and and over the course of the next year or so i think this this actually will be standardized but you know what what we we see is Actually, users don't care. They don't care about system D. They don't care about var directories. They don't care about slash user bin. They don't care about path. Like all of these Unixisms Aren't really addressing the business logic at hand that they that they're trying to solve when when building their 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 services. What they really want to do is just kind of code something and remove as much complexity as possible. And JavaScript actually provides a, a very nice way of doing this. And so I, I guess one way you can think of it is like. Chrome, right, you've got a bunch of tabs open, you've got you've got, you know, a tab open to your bank, you've got a tab open to Google Docs, you've got you've got a tab open to some nefarious website. And they're all running JavaScript, right? They're all they're all running all these different programs, and they're all untrusted, yet they can't, they can't see each other. And moreover, I mean, these tabs start up really fast. I mean, think about how fast Figma starts up, versus how fat how long it took you to install. Adobe Illustrator, right? I mean the 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 it's it's just like the 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 old software view versus versus what web software. When you open up Figma, you are literally installing that program that that editor that uh, vector graphics editor on on your computer, and you're running it in an untrusted manner. This is super similar to how serverless. Hosts work, right? We've we need to be. We're we're essentially doing this, not graphical, of course, but but we're essentially a, a web server that is kind of spinning up these these little isolates to little untrusted isolates to respond to requests from from different domains. So we you know we think this this is actually where web web server development is going for you know maybe not for 100% of use cases obviously google.com is never going to be written in javascript i mean there there are complex systems out there but it, like kind of an 80% use case like you just need to spin up a little server to to respond to some requests to like do some auth to you know talk to a database and and uh, munge together some other apis we can we can certainly handle those very, very cheaply. I mean, essentially you, you, you hand us, you know, a couple of kilobytes of, of JavaScript and, and we put that into a database table and we can host that, you know, essentially we host that, that server indefinitely for free right as long as it's not getting any any traffic and we can scale up the 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 number of isolates serving that that request as necessary to to serve that so we're we're working very hard on this it's it's not super apparent uh if if you're following us you'll you'll just see all this stuff about the open source project but um dino deploy is is a very serious project it is from scratch it is not a is not like a rebranded other system in fact you will find uh, some some uh, services out there. For example, Netlify Edge Functions are actually Dino Deploy under the hood, or Supabase Edge Functions are actually Dino Deploy under the hood. So this is uh, uh, turning out to be kind of the, or at least for the time being, you know, is 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 kind of the the white label infrastructure behind uh, a lot of
1: of what you think of as 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 edge functions. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I can go from right. Write a couple of lines of code on my computer to a function running in the cloud, and in, in, in seconds with this. I, I guess a question, and you, you mentioned Docker before, and I think this relates to one of the listener questions about competition. Where, like, let's say, Dino it becomes the widespread way that JavaScript developers program servers. How do you how do you prevent it from becoming commoditized across all cloud providers? Where AWS would have a Dino runtime or someone asked about Fastly or Netlify. And so like, how do you capture the value that you've created in the business and not have it be just dispersed through the existing cloud providers or is that not that important? in your mind
0: it's 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 a concern the the dino deploy is not just the dino dino open source project running uh (laughs) running in in aws lambda or something there there is there is a massive massive proprietary gap between that so and and it is it is very very non-trivial so i'm yeah, there you, you you cannot recreate this with. You, of course, you can take the open source project and you can go deploy it wherever you want. You can run it in your in an EC two container or an EC two instance, right? You can you can go run it at FlyIO. But this this kind of serverless aspect of of, of this this is what we're building uh, in a proprietary fashion as a company. For for that reason, I mean, you know, we we are trying to build a business.
1: How do you or, or you yeah, you could tell us more about the Dino you know, team, like how our how, how large is it? How are people? How's it? How many people are working on the core open source versus the commercial offerings? We are uh, sixteen people and and growing quickly. I'm,
0: unlike every other company out there, uh, <laughs> we are not laying off. We are we are hiring very very quickly right now. We are coming out of an open source project and founded during the pandemic and, and so distributed around the world uh, mostly based in in US and and Europe but but we we are a very asynchronous team and and you know just used to collaborating on on GitHub I'd say we're
1: roughly half half on on kind of the open source project and Dino you know, deploy Yeah got it that makes sense and then do you have any non engineers on the team or right now it's all all software developers
0: yeah we we've got we've got andy who's, who's doing marketing we've we've got business guy doing doing operations stuff but yeah mo- mostly engineering you know i'm i both both myself and my co-founder uh, bert is our uh engineers and and we're 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 trying to build a great engineering organization and, and you know build build great software and and you know really really focusing on on what we're good at, which is web servers and system software, and and kind of the how that that intersects with browser technologies.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm really excited about the the vision and mission of of th- that you've laid out, and so yeah, really appreciate you coming on today to to talk more about Dino. Maybe for the audience, like where can we where can we learn more? Can we get started with Dino Deploy? Anything you'd like to promote?
0: Uh, yeah, you can. You can uh, Dino is the is the open source project dino.com is is the is the serverless product and and yeah i would try it out you should also check out fresh.dino.dev that's that's the the web framework that that we have and uh I, I do not doubt that, that you will be uh, shocked. I, I guess I should also mention you can use NPM modules with Dino. This, this, this is very much possible these, these days. Uh, some, something that we did not undertake originally, but, but, you know, after, after much outcrying from, from the community, uh, I realized that, that it is very important for us to be able to pull in NPM modules. And this support is, is, uh, is working really well. You should should be able to maybe not every npm module. There's kind of a, a unfortunate tale of of kind of legacy modules out there that that might not be uh, compatible, like very old sort of uh, JavaScript code. But the majority, let's say eighty to ninety percent, should should be easily portable directly into Dino with kind of type checking and everything working out of the box. So yeah, I, I encourage people to
1: to try it out. So So now we can use our important packages like Express and Left pad as well.
0: Yeah, you should be able to import Express and compare it to node, you'll you'll see that it works faster with with Dino.
1: Awesome. Well, really exciting. yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on and sharing more and uh, excited to keep following you guys as, as you as you develop the JavaScript ecosystem. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Man.